In software development and software engineering, there are uh, many questions, many basic questions that you need to ask about the architecture. And here we are going to try and answer uh, some of them uh, for my own view, experience, and some material that uh, I was uh, reading uh, recently. So some of these questions are like, which programming languages you use? Should you use Java, Python, a closure? Okay, C, C++, PHP. Which databases should you use? NoSQL, the relational database. When do you write unit test, integration test, end-to-end test? And uh, so forth. Okay, should you use Scrum or Kanban or in Agile? What are your processes? How do you deal with the deadline? So first, as for the languages, um, Java is a bulletproof uh, language for a large uh, teams or a large set of teams where you need to cooperate. It's very difficult to do this with other languages. It's possible. There are people that would tell you that there is no problem with it. They are managing to do this, but I think that it's rather hard because Java is really bulletproof. It has been here for more, more than 20 years. Uh, it's uh, statically typed, the IT is supported fluently, super huge projects and super huge companies with thousands and tens of thousands of developers and maybe thousands of teams are using Java successfully. It's great for cooperation. Okay, this is a great language to standardize your uh, software development. As for C-Sharp, Use it if you're just simply living in, use it for the same reasons that you would use Java, only if you are living in a Microsoft uh, environment. Python and Ruby are quite uh, similar, they are dynamically typed. Uh, first, if you're using AI and uh, models, then there are many open source projects in Python. So in many cases, if you're doing like models and AI, you would use Python in order to utilize the uh, Jupyter Notebooks, in order to utilize the uh, modeling. It has some issues with scalability that in Java and Scala and JVM languages was solved with the uh, Spark. And though you have PySpark, PySpark is not enough in order to interact with the uh, Spark because you still need to convert uh, these data structures, at least underground. And also Spark like assumes that your process is simplified. They are trying to create all the algorithms that are already existing in uh, Python. And for this uh, reason, there are um, new projects in Python that uh, try to make it more uh, scalable and to run like uh, Python. Uh, as for uh, JavaScript, I have a personal uh, answer, you won't like it, don't use uh, JavaScript. And that is because that uh, usually what you end up uh, with is like a jungle of uh, code, uh, even though if you try to make it uh, neat, I know the most of the web is written in JavaScript, but it's a very problematic uh, language because of the tooling around it, it's uh, dynamic. Uh, you add features, the nature of frontend is that you add and change features and it needs maintenance. So if you're a solo developer or a solo team, it may fit you perfectly. But the one who would come and would try to refactor something or try to manipulate it, it would be very difficult for him to learn. 
I'm sure there are a lot of uh, horror stories uh, about it. What you could do, but uh, there is a solution. I mean, you don't have to use JavaScript. You can use TypeScript. TypeScript is a superset of uh, JavaScript. You get all the benefits. You can write to the browser. You can just transpile it from TypeScript into uh, JavaScript, and you get also all the benefits of type safety. Okay, another suggestion that I would suggest is that although today the web is very dynamic and stuff like this, you could use the Phoenix project in order to move uh, most of the fronted into the backend. And this would uh, greatly ease all the work and all the code that you need to maintain. Okay, because if you're a solo developer writing JavaScript, you can be very fast in it. Yes, if you're a team that's writing a throwaway project, then yes, if you are writing a prototype, then yes, but if you want something maintainable, multiple teams can use, new people can come and maintain, you could refactor, you could clean up the code, then it does not answer this, okay? Now, about C and C++, they, though you don't really choose these uh, languages. If you really need them, you would know, okay? <laughs> you would know you need to really need them, although today there are uh, new languages that would answer many of the many of the places where you would think that you need C, like Rust and stuff like this, because they don't have a garbage collection, they support object cleanup without garbage collection in uh, the compiler, and you could use, just use Rust for something like first video transformation and mathematical operation. As for uh, PHP or its uh, uh, current language named Hack, uh, which is a great name for PHP, it's like, again, if you're a solo developer writing a server, uh, you want to quickly iterate through it, or you consider yourself a non-developer, many non-developers are using uh, PHP. And today there is the great framework uh, Laravel, which uh, is very similar to Rails, only it's on uh, PHP and you can create, if you're good at UI, you would want to use uh, PHP for personal projects or for standalone projects, one team handles them and no maintenance, this is the language for it. About uh, micro, uh, microservices, when should you use it? Uh, I would personally prefer something in between microservices and uh, monolith. Uh, there is a term for it, it's called a modular monolith, where you take some benefits from both. Not, It's not really uh, eating the cake and leaving the cake full, but it's taking some properties from microservices and also from monolith. You end up with a single uh, monorepo, and this will help multiple teams handle this monorepo. They will see, they will have visibility on all the code because one of the drawbacks of uh, using microservices is that you have less visibility, okay, into what the other services do. So it, on one hand, this is good, but on the other hand, it's not so good because when you do need to look at what uh, the other code is doing, it's very difficult. Okay, so it's very good when you want a company separation. If you want to treat multiple teams like different companies, then microservices are good. But remember, if you are in a state of mind of microservices, then you are in a state of mind of multiple companies. And imagine what it means for one company to call the API of another company. You would need permissions, okay? You don't have access to logs. You would need good documentation. 
you would need all this. You would need how do you trace uh, the requests. Yeah. Okay, so therefore I prefer the modular uh, monolith in this case. As for a database, when you need to choose a database, I think that the first choice should be an SQL, could be MySQL, could be Postgres, or even better, something managed so that you won't need to manage the server of the database by yourself. So you choose a managed service. They will do good for you in 99% of the time, even when you think you need a NoSQL. In many cases, when in nine of 10 cases where you think you need NoSQL, you actually need an uh, SQL. In the one of 10 cases where you do need a NoSQL, this is when your access patterns into the data are well known. What does it mean that your access patterns into the data are well known? You know exactly which data you're going to get. You don't need a complex query or semi-complex uh, query in order to get the data. Then in most cases, standard SQL would be good enough. As for uh, testing, you write a unit test when you have a complex uh, algorithm in a function or a complex thing. Okay, you don't write unit test in order to test things, as weird as it may sound. Because if you try to test your server with unit test, you will end up with many small tests and you won't really know if your server works correctly. So you would say, okay, so but I'll add system test. So I would say, don't add the system test. You could add a few system tests, not too many because they're very hard to manage. You need the server to be up. You need to configure the database. You need to clean up. You need to prepare the data. The system tests are very complex. What you actually want to have is a component test and end-to-end test, the test flows inside your servers while your server is down. When do you do need to write a unit test? You do need to write a unit test if you want to verify like the architecture or the function parameters, you want to see that uh, it makes sense, okay? You could write a unit test, not too many because there are additional code to maintain. Or when you have a very complex function, a very complex uh, computation and algorithm. In these cases, you do need a unit test. Estimating uh, how much time it's going to take to do something. So this is a very difficult topic, but I would say this. It's really dependent on the amount of unknowns that you have on the estimation. If the task that you're going to do is a task that you already did, and you know exactly how to do it, then you could give an estimate. If you didn't do this task before, uh, or a similar one, very similar one, and you have some uh, unknowns, then it's going to be very difficult to estimate it. De therefore, what I would say is that you need to think of the task as a whole. Imagine how much time did it take you in the past, taking into account especially the unknowns. So what you should refer to in the past when you try to come up with the estimation is not what the task is about, it's more like how many unknowns do you have in the task. Is it a new project that you need to work on? Okay, if, if it's a new code base, 
try to figure out in a different uh, situation how much time do they take in this unknown constraint of a new code base okay and then you could create some kind of a table okay unknown code base weeks okay the 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 table that you create for yourself is a table that maps between unknown into times estimations and then when you get a task you look at the table of the where the key is the unknowns and for each unknown you have the time that it takes to do this unknown having said all this whenever you have unknowns estimating is very difficult I also don't think that if you try to sniff around the task before on the unknowns it's going to give some value additional value to the estimation because the task itself is the unknowns okay so I personally think that the only task that can be estimated with precisions are tasks that are having very very little unknowns because The main thing which is difficult to estimate is the unknowns and the problem with unknowns is that they are unknowns <laughs> so you can't really estimate those okay you can only compare these unknowns to some unknowns in the past and try to come up with something uh, the, the way to mitigate that the way to mitigate the unknowns is to just start with the unknowns okay just start with a task okay instead of trying to estimate just start and move along with it uh, sorry I don't have a solution for this but this is my rule of thumb unfortunately the last thing that I want to tell you is that Kanban is preferable to like sprint planning and all this stuff you should push to work with Kanban uh, working task by task uh, trying to move things forward and monitor the progress uh, you can work with Scrum with sprint planning and everything but it works better frankly for tasks which do not have unknowns okay so in this cases you can really say this task will tell me take me 3.5 days because you know you don't have any unknowns you you know exactly what are the places in code you can imagine I'm going to go to this function at this piece of code I'm going to go to this function this is usually uh, happening in the UI you are told to change something in the UI in the code base that you already know and you know exactly how you're going to do this you know exactly what you're going to change you know exactly how much time scrum and sprint learning are good for this but if your task is to move in the backend from one framework to another like uh, let's upgrade from maven to cradle okay okay I estimate it as two weeks one month two months uh, it's impossible sorry but you you can only take the unknowns from previous projects that you had when you needed to change some basic framework and I can assure you that depending on the number of projects that you have so if you need to move from Maven to Gradle in a single project uh, with a very small code mm, 
you need to change also your continuous integration and your builds if uh, you have some and you would have some issues and okay so it can take you some small time but if you have multiple projects and multiple teams working on this then it becomes exponentially uh, difficult to work around this and while you could grow, say okay so I'll gradually roll it out I start with one project move to another I think that for such infrastructure uh, changes it should be an infrastructure uh, change you Therefore, Kanban would be much more suitable for this kind of task because in Kanban, what will you do? You'll deal with it piece by piece and you would move forward with it. Scrum and sprint planning has its problems. It's very good. It's very good for when you do have predictability. So I'm sorry that I'm ending with such pessimism, but I'm sure that if you look at your uh, historical estimations, you will see these pictures. There are very few projects which were estimated uh, correctly. And the main reason is the unknowns. It's, it's a very difficult issue to handle these uh, unknowns. So you just need to have some kind of uh, general table which maps uh, certain unknowns into certain uh, time estimation. So hope you enjoyed this uh, session and I will see you next time.